focus on headline. And let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters, Handan and Yusumin. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. We are going to start things off with the troubled ruling People Power Party, uh, which is saying that it's going to uh, form a new emergency steering committee before the upcoming Chusak holiday. There's been uh, quite a bit of rift, even within uh, the party in itself. Uh, this does follow the local court's ruling to suspend interim chief of the current emergency Committee Chu Ho Young from his duties. Start us off, uh, Tan. It does look like the internal rift is only ri- widening right now. Well, SJ, as former PPP chairman Lee Jun Suk bulldozed his way through, not giving into anything or anyone, taking legal actions against the ruling party leadership. The PPP also got busy declaring that it'll complete the formation of a new emergency steering committee before the Chuseok holiday, which begins next Friday. The decision was unanimously reached on Monday by the current interim leadership committee, which also decided to elevate party floor leader Kwon Sung-dong to the role of acting interim chief until the new panel is launched. The move came after the Seoul Southern District Court on Friday partially accepted ousted Chairman Lee Jun-suk's request for an injunction nullifying the PPP's decision earlier this month to form the emergency committee that stripped Lee of his chairmanship. In its ruling, the court said the PPP's decision was erroneous because there was no crisis situation that warrants an emergency committee, reflecting much of what Lee has pointed out in his injunction request. The interim leadership plans to convene a meeting of the party's assembly members as early as tomorrow to discuss revising party regulations needed to expedite the process of establishing a new emergency committee and to better manage the new entity. Yeah, I think we knew uh, from the very start that uh, when they handed down the six-month suspension to Lee Jun-suk, it wasn't just a matter of suspension. It was to basically oust him of his uh, chairmanship. And we also knew, I think, that Lee Jun-suk was not going to sit idly and uh, sit quietly. He was going to fight this. And we're seeing this right Right now, and hence uh, this massive rift within the party right now. Uh, Tan, you briefly mentioned that PPP floor leader Kwon Sung-dong will take on the role of the acting interim chief until the new committee is launched. So t- tell us a little bit more about this. Right. So the PPP decided that Kwon Sung-dong temporarily lead the party to fill in the hiatus. Kwon will take charge of revising the party charter to form a new emergency leadership committee before the upcoming Chuseok holiday. Kwon told the press today that the party first needs to overhaul its charter before forming a new emergency leadership committee in order to minimize the confusion, adding that holes in the current charter are the main cause of the ongoing political confusion. Floor leader Kwan, as you know, is uh, President Yoon sung key associate and former acting chairman of the ruling party, who faces mounting calls that he should step down and take responsibility for the ongoing crisis. Critics argue that the current crisis was triggered by Kwan's leaking of a text message uh, between him and President Yoon, in which the president criticized ousted chairman Lee jun uh, I did see uh, some of these reports that are coming out uh, over the weekend. Even the party members, lawmakers within the party uh, saying things like, my goodness, this party is done and over with right now. And there's a lot of uh, negativity, uh, a lot of rift. There's a lot of fighting right now. But uh, 
I want to kind of get also uh, the response from the presidential office and not to mention uh, the political arena. Sumin, you have more on this. Yeah, well, obviously, you're witnessing fierce factional strifes and internal feuds recently. And yesterday, the presidential office came out and said that they look forward to resolving the dispute and senior presidential aides also reaffirming its position that it would not intervene in party affairs. Now, earlier today, President Yoon Sung-yeol himself, when he was asked regarding the formation of the new emergency committee, he said that it's right to respect the conclusion made by the party lawmakers and the party members at the doorstepping session earlier today. And then when reporters uh, called for his role in the absence of the party leadership, he basically reaffirmed his non-intervention principle by saying, after fierce discussions among the party members, they will be able to reach a reasonable conclusion for the future of the party and, of course, the country. Now, among the PPP party members, we're seeing some voices of dissent. Well, lawmakers like Ahn today, he actually posted uh, a so- on his social media account saying that he's against setting up a new emergency committee under the floor leader Kwon Sung-dong went on to claiming that we need a new floor leader and that forming a new emergency committee does not essentially fit the purpose of the court ruling. Now, there was another strong backlash among senior lawmakers of the PPP like Yoon Sang-hyun, Choi Jae-hyung, and Ha Tae-kyung. And even some of the non-mainstream lawmakers, they are all calling for Kwon Sung-dong to step down as floor leader as part of the efforts to take the responsibility for the internal strife. Now, you know, the ruling party's internal feud, if it gets prolonged, it will. there are a lot of uh, comments and anal- uh, analysis They will inevitably inevitably hurt President Yoon Sung-yeol's leadership in state affairs and, of course, the sluggish approval ratings as well. Yeah, in fact, Ha Tae-kyung was the one that came out of the meeting and basically said, you know, he was basically shaking his head and said, I mean, the people power party, I mean, this is done. Mm. It's over. <laughs> it just can't can't get any worse than this right now. And so, again, I mean, a lot of them are very pessimistic right now and all for the right reason, I guess, from all the things that are happening. But, uh, Tan, what's been the public's reaction? And also, what's the expected scenario uh, from this point on? Well, if you guys recall the grand entrance of former PPP chairman Lee Jun-sok to the political arena, it was sensational. Yeah. You know, just after a decade of entering politics, he became Korea's youngest mm-hmm. politician to head the main opposition party. Hopes were high that uh, he would breathe in new life into the party, breathe in young blood into the party. And no one can deny his contributions to the PPP's victories in major elections as he has, in fact, won the hearts of a significant number of young voters. But now, even the young people are very disappointed at the ongoing factional fights and how the PPP is being swayed, you know, just helplessly being swayed by just one single member of the party. And people in all age groups are making one voice that the PPP should mend the situation ASAP and focus on the piles of pressing economic issues. Many pundits say that the only way out of the chaos is uh, for the PPP to resolve the issue as soon as possible and regain people's trust by yielding tangible results uh, by swift implementation of necessary economic measures. But unfortunately, many experts and political pundits say the PPP faces a long, bumpy road ahead as the members uh, during a recent general meeting has decided to slap further punishment on ousted Lee Jun-sok. They argued that Lee's recent humiliating and insulting claims against the pro-Yun Sung-yeol members of the party are enough to consider additional 
punishment for Lee. Lee Jun-seok, as you mentioned, SJ, was suspended from the top post for six months, but the period may be extended if the PPP pushes for further punishments. And uh, some experts uh, even say Lee could even be removed from the party once and for all in an extreme case scenario. So although calls are growing for the PPP to resolve uh, the conflict as soon as possible, uh, it looks like the party will be uh, is in for another huge clash uh, in for a fresh turmoil. I, I really think it's it's at the point of no return right now. I mean, there's no way to... N- number one, there's no way to mend ties with uh, Lee Jun-suk at this time. Uh, but there were some foreshadows. There were some it's and bits uh, that there might be some rifts even at the very start. Because if you remember, uh, Lee Jun-suk as the, the chairman of the PPP, and, uh, you know, it was at the time uh, Yoon Seok-yeol was the presidential candidate. He wasn't showing full support of Yoon Seok-yeol at the time. And then later on, you know, obviously, you know, he ended up showing support and then all this happened. So I think at the very start when he didn't show full support for Yoon Seok, President Yoon Seok-yeol at the very beginning, uh, very beginning, people were like, uh, this is going in a weird way. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's Hong, Hong Jun-pyo, right? The mayor of Daegu, who's, who's been very vocal <laughs> as well. He's kind of like sitting there going, I told you so. And, uh, <laughs> Very straightforward. Right. He's, yeah. <laughs> I told you so. He's just basically laughing at everything. Like, but you're part of the PPP too. I mean, you're. This is the party that you belong in. And so, I honestly, I've, I've never seen so much rift right now. Um, but it's. I think it's inevitable. I think from the very start, we knew that uh, the PPP were going to try to oust uh, Lee Jun Suk from the mm-hmm. very start. But again, Lee Jun Suk, he's not the guy that's just going to kind of you know back off and go. All right, yeah. I'll go quietly. Uh, he's, he's been very vocal. He's going to fight this. And uh, how much more? rift can we see within the party in itself uh we'll have to see uh in the meantime though while all of this is happening within the ruling ppp party uh the main opposition uh, opposition uh, democratic party has its new leader it is the newly elected dp chairman uh Lee Jae-myung, who kicked off his first day in office uh presiding over the democratic party supreme council earlier in the day uh let's get more about the results of his uh, latest victory here uh not to mention Uh, his promises on the leadership. Well, sure. So the former presidential candidate Lee Jae-myung was actually elected as the new chairman of the main opposition party yesterday, clinching a landslide victory, winning 77.77% of the votes in the race. Now, Lee's share of the votes is also the highest ever for the Democratic Party, exceeding Lee Nagyeon's 60.7% at the 2020 National Convention. Now, his long-term task, of course, will be to lay the groundwork to possibly win in the 2024 general election. Election. Now, some analysts are saying that his win is basically akin to former President Moon Jae-in's path, uh, entering the parliament after losing the presidential election and then gaining party power through victory in the general election, which eventually might lead up to the presidential election as well. Now, kicking off his first day in office, his major pledge was to cooperate for the success of the Yoon Seung-yeol government to fight any attempts that could potentially hurt democracy. While presiding over the party's Supreme Council earlier today, he said, I hope that the Yoon Seung-yeol government and the president will succeed because success will ultimately guarantee a better life for the people. Now, for this, he actually uh, officially requested a meeting with President Yoon Seung-yeol, stating that many of the presidential pledges made by President Yoon were the same or in many ways similar to his. Now, Lee's former request for a meeting with President Yoon Seung-yeol comes as the nation's dealing with a lot of pressing issues like raging inflation. And this is why he also said his willingness to push for policy 
policies that could overcome the economic crisis, worsening livelihoods, and work together with the president on that front. Now, but he wasn't all that cooperative through. Like, he still vowed to keep the UN administration in check, emphasizing his resolve to fiercely fight against any regression and autocracy that might threaten democracy and people's livelihood. Well, for that, he also promised to focus on practical reforms, first setting up one body to address economic and livelihood issues, and also another to preserve democracy. Now, taking note of the faction politics that has plagued the main opposition, you know, the internal strife that we just talked about, he also said that he will inherit and improve the spirit of former liberal presidents like Kim Dae-jung, Lo Mu-hyun, and Lee Jae-myung on top of reforming the party. Now, he's also scheduled to vis- pay a visit to President Moon Jae-in, former President Moon Jae-in, at his pres- private residence in Yangtan, about 310 kilometers southeast of Seoul today, uh, which also is seen as a move to reinforce unity within the Democratic Party. Yeah, I think you meant uh, pre- former President Moon Jae-in, not uh, Lee Jae-myung. Maybe are you hinting at this possible? Moon Jae-in, former President Moon Jae-in. Yeah, you said Kim Dae-jung. You said Kim Dae-jung, Lo Mu-yeon, and Lee Jae-myung. Oh, really? I, mean, I don't know if you're foreshadowing things to no, come no. right now. Uh, <laughs> no. But uh, speaking of which, no, but speaking of which, I mean, the the, the path right now for Lee Jae-myung is very, very clear, right? I, I would be very surprised if five years down the road, like he doesn't run for uh, the president once again. He's getting a lot of support. And as you see that, and I remember when Lee Nagyan was able to get that 60%, everyone's like, oh my goodness, this is like big numbers right now. And at the time, uh, even with, uh, uh, you know, with Lee Nagyan, Everyone thought that Lee Nagyan was going to be the main candidate for the Democratic Party for the presidential election. It was mm-hmm. going to eventually be Yoon Sa Gyar versus Lee Nagyan, and then you know Lee Jae Myung kind of came out of nowhere, nowhere here. But then like seventy seven point seven seven percent right now, uh, which I think shows. The support that he's getting, especially with the uh, the lower approval rating of uh, the UN administration at this time. But I think, again, the big thing is the, the general elections uh, mm-hmm. come, uh, what is it, 2024, right? And this is uh, the big thing where the PPP really need to straighten things out and get things together because that's the other thing that they really need to win at. Mm-hmm. It, winning the, the you know the presidential election that's one thing but the general election is the other thing but I do like the fact that uh, Lee Jae-myung has come out saying that uh, he is willing to work together uh, with the current uh, administration because I think that's the one thing that's been holding back uh, the growth of South Korea uh, and the fact that you know quote unquote the faction politics right whatever the other people say whether whatever the other uh, party says even if it's good we're going to be against it kind of idea I think that's uh a terrible thing. So we'll see what happens here. Um, but unfortunately, factional fights and chaos continues in the ruling PPP. Uh, the party also focusing on uh, stabilizing prices, uh, holding a high-level meeting with the government here. So, uh, Tom, what was discussed at this meeting? The ambience was quite heavy, but the ruling party and the government focused on easing the financial burden on the citizens during the Chuseok holiday. They held a meeting that lasted for over two and a half hours, laying out measures to stabilize prices. Those include supporting the supply of a record amount of food items popular during the holiday and providing discount coupons, aiming to keep prices at a similar level 
as last year. Floor leader Kwon Sung-dong pointing out the high inflation weighing on the citizens said that the government will take preemptive measures to curb price hikes and also expedite procedures to provide up to 4 million won for small business owners in the areas designated as special disaster zones hit by the recent record rainfall. Officials also agreed to review waiving toll fees on major expressways during the holidays. The presidential office also focused on uh, economic issues ahead of Chuseok, keeping its distance from the worsening internal feud of the ruling party. A key presidential official called on the ruling party to do its best and make sure issues related to people's livelihoods won't be delayed due to the party situation. Yeah, for our listeners out there, the uh, the toll fee waiving uh, that was in place for quite a while, and then during the uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic, they kind of got rid of that. Right? It was they didn't want people to kind of travel in and out. Uh, interesting to see that uh, that's going to be put back in place. Guys, uh, speaking of inflation, uh, there's a number of economic uh, issues at hand right now. And in order to kind of Inflation is not something that only South Korea is seeing right now. The, the whole world is seeing inflations, uh, which is why the central banks of respective countries, what they're doing is they're in, uh, raising their benchmark interest rates. And of course, we watch the U.S. Fed, uh, their key rates uh, go up. And uh, we know that their uh, monetary policy tightening is going to get tighter and tighter and tighter. And what's that led to? It led to the downfall of the Korean won against the U.S. dollar right now. In fact, uh, earlier today, uh, Korean won hit a yearly low in intraday trading, also closing uh, and also Cosby hitting one month low today as well, uh, apparently impacted by the Fed's hawkish stance. A further rate hike is likely. Sumin, uh, let's get more on this. Yeah, well, this makes headlines these days, obviously, because at the latest annual Jackson Hall meeting, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell reaffirmed a hawkish stance, like Esther had said, signaling constant rate hike, at least for some time. And on the back of that, the South Korean currency fell to the lowest level against the greenback in more than 13 years. Now, the local currency was trading at 1,348.5 won per dollar as of 11 a.m. today. Well, unfortunately, it tumbled below the 1,350 level against a dollar well, for the first time in 13 years and four months since April 2009. Now, the $1 exchange rate spiked as demand for the dollar. The greenback increased amidst prospects that the Fed will maintain its aggressive monetary tightening to tame down inflation. Well, the one actually has weakened close to 12% against the greenback so far this year. Well, this fall of the South Korean one's value accelerated in recent months again as the Fed has aggressively raised its key interest rates. Now, in line with this, our main stock index, Cosby, also plunged, tracking Wall Street's route. Our Cosby closed at 2,426.89, down 2.18% from the previous trading day. Well, to put this into perspective, it was the lowest since July 27th, and the drop itself was the steepest since June 22nd. Analysts are saying that Powell's strong remarks have sent shockwaves through the market. Now, the tech-heavy Kostak also closed at 779.89, down 2.81% from the previous trading day. It's kind of interesting because uh, usually what we see is when the uh, the U.S. dollar is much higher against 
since the the Korean one, you see a lot of the uh, the uh, overseas investors come in because the stronger dollar, they could buy in more stocks. Mm. Uh, but instead, what we're seeing is, I mean, they're they're basically seeing the the Korean one drop so much against the U.S. dollar, and they're seeing this as a sign that the Korean economy is not doing well. Yeah. And of course, then they're going to start pulling out. But uh, in normal cases, though, when we don't see stuff like this, and you just have a very strong dollar, you have a lot of overseas investors come in. It's the other way here. Uh, but of course, uh, going back to the Jackson Hole meeting over in Wyoming uh, over the weekend here. Uh, a lot of eyes on this, on what the U.S. Fed Chairman uh, Jerome Powell was going to say. Uh, but again, this is the economic conference that brings together the world's top central bankers. And of course, rightfully so, uh, Tan, the Bank of Korea Governor Lee Chang-yong was there as well. Uh, he did have some message to share with the people. Uh, what did he say? SJE attended the Jackson Hole Symposium and discussed a paper he co-authored with Doug Laxton titled Lessons from Unconventional Monetary Policy for Small Open Economies and Emerging Markets. One of the key points he made was that unconventional forward guidance such as quantitative easing, often used during an emergency situation like the COVID-19 pandemic, is not an ideal policy tool for emerging markets and small open economies such as South Korea. He explained that this is because exit strategies must be sought more frequently in those countries, in those economies. He said that insufficient central bank credibility and a potentially larger impact on fiscal dominance, debt sustainability, and currency depreciation make unconventional forward guidance a far riskier option for those economies than in advanced economies. But acknowledging that the uh, emerging markets do not have the luxury of giving up quantitative easing and forward guidance completely due to various reasons. He stressed that those economies must start to build up a more detailed policy framework, such as scenarios-based conventional forward guidance. Now, during the Jackson Hole Conference, the world's top central bankers delivered a stern and unified message on the need to curb inflation, declaring that the rate hikes are broad-based, here to stay and will require forceful action. The heads of the Bank of England, Swiss National Bank, Bank of Korea and Japan and several European central bank policymakers spoke at the U.S. Fed's annual retreat. Yi Chang-yong became the first BOK governor to join the conference as a session speaker. Now, uh, there was something very interesting that the uh, BOK governor Yi Chang-yong said as well. I think this was uh, at an interview with Reuters, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. But uh, let's get more on what he said. Right. He said the central bank will continue raising its benchmark interest rates until inflation begins to show decline and that the country will likely not call a halt to its tightening cycle before the U.S. Federal Reserve. Speaking to Reuters at the Jackson Hole meeting, he said, while the BOK is independent from the government, it's not independent from the U.S. Fed. It's true. Although the BOK began raising interest rates before the Fed with its first hike coming a year ago, he said he is unsure if they'll end hikes earlier. He added that if the Fed continues to raise rates, there will be further depreciation pressure for the Korean one. He also said that as long as inflation remains high, meaning 4% to 5%, uh, then Korea will definitely continue to emphasize the normalization of interest rates. 
Yi, who has previously said the bank could weather a gap as big as a full percentage point in the Korean and U.S. interest rates, said he had eyes set on local market responses to what Fed Chair Jerome Powell said Friday. Powell's tough talk on inflation sent U.S. stocks tumbling. Yi said any speculative moves involving the $1 trade will warrant government intervention, analyzing that the recent one depreciation was not driven by speculation or worries over the country's economic fundamentals, but by the dollar rising in value globally. Yi was optimistic that Korea is not burning through currency reserves as it did over two decades ago during the 1998 IMF financial crisis and said the Korean economy won't see a repeat of the 2008 global financial crisis either. Guys, remember uh, when I said uh, sometimes over the weekend I do weird things like uh, analyze whether or not uh, North Korea is going to test fire <laughs> nuclear weapons and things like that? Yes, we remember. Uh, you know what I did over like the weekend was uh, had some spare time and I started uh, jotting some stuff down uh, on the notes on uh, how the U.S. Fed is going to start doing its rate hike and how the South Korea's Bank of Korea is going to uh, keep up with that. Right. <laughs> so I did some uh, simulation here. Uh, In your spare time in my during your break time. on wow. the weekend. A true professional a SJ. Great no. radio host. No, because I, I'm very concerned. I mean, I, no, and then I that kind of came up because if uh, Lee Chang Yong said South Korea could actually weather a gap as big as a full percentage point, I was kind of doing the, so Korea right now, the Bank of Korea is at 2.5 at this mm-hmm. time, okay? Uh, so is the U.S. Fed. U.S. Fed's at 2.25 to 2.5 range. Uh, it's highly expected that the U.S. Fed is going to increase do two big steps, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so 50 basis point, 50 mm-hmm. basis mm-hmm. point, and then 25 basis right. point mm-hmm. is what they're expecting. Uh, so by three hikes, you, you could potentially look at the U.S. Fed standing at 375 to 4% uh, in benchmark interest rate. South Korea currently at 2.5 right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they mm-hmm. do... They're not. Gonna, I don't think they're going to do another big step. No, uh, no. The, South Korea. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be. It's going to be mm-hmm. twenty-five basis points. And so, if it's like three rate hikes at tw- uh, twenty-five basis points, uh, it's going to be probably at around. Uh, th- it's what is it? That's seventy-five. Three point two five percent is what we're looking at after three rate hikes. So three point seven five to four percent U.S. Fed. Bank of Korea, 3.25. That falls into the category of about a gap of 0.50% oh, yeah. mm. to 0.75, mm. which is still under uh, the 1% right. range. But still, though, that's that's a pretty big gap. Mm. And, uh, you know, we're already seeing the U.S., uh, what is it, the Korean one, depreciate a lot. I mean, we're 12, earlier this morning, it was 11% depreciation over the past year. Now it's already at 12. Uh, how much mm. further we can go, mm-hmm. we don't know. But... Uh, I, this is going to wreak havoc on all the new homeowners who borrowed massive money. And we're just going to, I'm telling you, when I see the real estate prices go down, that's what we're going to see. Uh, in the meantime, uh, South Korea sent a delegation consisting of senior trade and foreign ministry officials to the United States. And this is to discuss the worries over Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, assuming you have more on this. Yeah, obviously there are rampant concerns over the Inflation Reduction Act that's signed by President Joe Biden and that how that could potentially impact South Korea's batteries and EV industries. Now, to deal with that situation, a delegation comprising senior officials from the Ministries of Industry, Finance and Foreign Affairs has left for the United States to deliver and address the concerns over the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, just a quick reminder 
for our listeners that Inflation Reduction Act basically is a U.S. law that excludes electric vehicles assembled outside of North America from tax incentives, which could put major EV companies like Hyundai Motor and Kia in jeopardy by reduced tax subsidies to purchases of EVs assembled in North America and those that have batteries made with materials from the continent. Now, these South Korean leading car makers, Hyundai Motors and Kia, make their flagship models like Hyundai's Iconic 5 or EV6 at domestic plants, and then they ship them overseas. And hence, they will be excluded for tax subsidies under the new law. And local battery makers, not to mention, rely heavily on China for key materials for manufacturing, which again could be undermined by the new law. Now, because you you know this new law requires EVs to be equipped with U.S.-made batteries and battery min- uh, materials. So during the three-day visit that will run through Wednesday, the delegation will visit the U.S. Trade Representative's office, not to mention the Treasury and Commerce Departments and Congress. The government officials are planning to convey Seoul's concerns and local auto industry stance on U.S. Inflation Reduction Act while discussing possible uh, countermeasures. Well, the delegation will also meet South Korean car makers, battery firms, and related companies doing business there to discuss responses together and also to discuss support measures. Well, as we know, the South Korean government has been seeking active consultations with the United States while working at, uh, working to collaborate with European exporters. They have been reviewing whether to bring the case to the WHO, the World Trade Organization, for possible violation of the most favored nation treatment principle. Well, the joint delegation's visit to the U.S. comes prior to the visit by Trade Minister An Dokin, which is scheduled for next week. And he will visit the U.S. to attend the IPEF ministerial meeting. Uh, to continue the high-level consultations between the U.S. and South Korean authorities on these very act. And separately, Industry Minister Lee Chang-yong also will meet U.S. Ambassador to South Korea Philip Goldberg to continue discussions regarding this very matter by saying that he, he is expecting some changes in situations after the U.S. midterm elections, which will be held in November. Yeah, I think you meant the uh, WTO. Uh, WTO, World well, Trade Organization. <laughs> not the world, not the WHO. I don't think WTO. I don't think WHO, <laughs> I don't think WHO <laughs> can do anything. No, but Excuse again, this, yeah. see, the, the thing with the frustrating thing about this is, you know, the only way that uh, Hyundai and Kia cars can pass and be part of the, the tax exemption mm-hmm. is if the battery, might, again, these are batteries that are, ma- uh, you know, technology from South Korea. But if it's made in the United States, yeah. Factories in the United States, it's okay. Mm. So this is going to force basically a lot of these uh, companies, the Korean companies, to To create, move their factories to the United States. And so this is kind of, for me, it looks like the U.S. is going, listen, just build more factories here, build more cars for us, build all the batteries here, and we take all the things, right? Mm -hmm. And so this... In, in really bad terms, it's monopolizing basically the car market here instead of trying to have you know South Korea ship all the cars to other countries and things like that. So I'm not a big fan of this. Uh, we'll see how things go and whether or not the WTO is actually going to re- respond to this is the other thing. Uh, in the meantime, the U.S. and South Korea kicking off their second phase of their summer military exercise. Uh, we're talking about the Urchi Freedom Shield. This again began on Monday, focusing on live action drills that simulate a counterattack 
against a hypothetical North Korean invasion. Uh, Tan, give us the details of this. Right. Just uh, as a background information for our listeners, the drills are divided into two parts. The first segment involving drills on repelling North Korean attacks and defending the greater Seoul area, with the second part focusing on counter-attack operations. And the second part kicked off today, conducting live-action drills and various field training sessions that simulate a counter-attack against the North. Military officials didn't disclose which area of North Korea was being targeted, but North Korea was quick to react, slamming the counterattack drills as an unforgivable provocation against Pyongyang. Propaganda outlets such as the Beari, for example, criticized the Allies' description of the drills as defense, as irrational and deceptive. Other outlets like Udiminjokiri and the Tongil Voice claimed the exercises likely involved plans to advance up to Pyongyang going through Kaesong uh, near the inter-Korean border, with some articles citing the Allies' decade-old wartime operation plan as evidence of such scenarios. Udiminjokiri went on to say that this is an unpardonably grave political and militaristic act of provocation against us, aiming at invading and taking over Pyongyang, where our highest leadership resides. Some propaganda articles also took aim at South Korean President Yoon Seong-yeol's emphasis on realistic training while visiting a wartime operations bunker last week, uh, with North Korea today calling uh, President Yoon and his administration, uh, (laughs) I'm not sure if I can say this, but um, according to their words, first-class morons, for provoking a country with nuclear weapons. The uh, Uzi Freedom Shield exercise is set to run through September 1st, involving an array of contingency drills like concurrent field maneuvers that were not held over the past years under the preceding, uh, a preceding Moon Jae-in administration's drive for peace with Pyongyang. Honestly, I don't know how they come out with these words. Uh, <laughs> yeah. these, uh, these, very creative. These phrases. Mm, yeah. uh, but, I mean, one thing to note here, uh, it's run through the propaganda media, uh, mm-hmm. the number of propaganda media that uh, Tan ex- uh, described to us. And some people might also argue that maybe there's a reason why they didn't uh, do it through state media, maybe not the Nodong Shimun, right, not through right, the KCNA mm-hmm, right, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So what are they trying to get at here? Sumin, the U- new UN Special Rapporteur for North Korean Human Rights began her official schedule from today in South Korea. She does have very busy plans during her four-day visit. Uh, can you tell us about her itinerary? Sure. So Elizabeth Salman is the newly appointed UN Special Rapporteur for North Korea's human rights here in South Korea. Well, her term began on August 1st. She arrived in South Korea on Saturday, had a roundtable conversations with some of the major North Korea-related organizations, and has begun working in her official capacity from today. Now, the UN envoy hectic schedule uh, that's lined up uh, during her four days visit. Uh, she will be meeting with major South Korean officials, including the Foreign Ministry and Unification Ministry officials. And then she is scheduled to visit Hanawon on Tuesday to observe operations at the state-run resettlement center for newly arrived North Korean defectors. She also has some plans on visiting the JSA, the Joint Security Area of Panmunjom, inside the DMZ the next day. The UN official will attend the Peace Forum organized by the Unification Ministry on Thursday, followed by a meeting on Friday 
Friday with Unification Minister Kwon Yong-se to discuss the human rights situation in North Korea and then hold a press conference to brief on the results of her South Korean trip. Now, on the last day of the trip, she is scheduled to meet with the family of a South Korean fisheries official killed by a North Korea in Western waters back in 2020. Now, just a little bit of information about her. She is a Peruvian international law scholar, the first woman to be appointed in the position. The Special Rapporteur for North Korean Human Rights is a role that was established back in 2004 under a resolution by the UN Human Rights Commission. Now, the person in charge of this position is responsible for investigating and researching the situation on North Korean human rights situation and reporting it to the UN General Assembly and then the Human Rights Council. Well, when she started her duty on August 1st, she delivered a statement denoting North Korea's worsening human rights situations amidst the prolonged pandemic with their stringent lockdown measures, which North Korea Foreign Ministry strongly refuted, denying the very existence of this position. Yeah, to be honest with you, when they were reporting on the COVID-19 situation in North Korea, I mm. feel like there was a lot of pundits saying that they were only reporting numbers from Pyongyang. And then that was like the, and all the measures put in place to help people, it was only in Pyongyang. And so like all the people outside of Pyongyang, they just didn't get any help, right? Mm -hmm. And so the numbers, I mean, again, I mentioned this before, but for some odd reason, all the COVID-19 numbers or the, what is it, the uh, unusual fever cases, mm -hmm. that they were the mysterious mm -hmm. fever case, yeah. daily cases always ended in a zero. How, what is the odds of that always ending on a zero <laughs> on a daily basis here? Which, which shows you, I mean, the numbers are just not true, right? Uh, nevertheless, uh, Tan and Sumin, thank you very much for coming in today with your report and your insights on some of these issues. Please stay safe and we'll see you guys again. See thank you. you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.